How's everybody doing this morning? So, uh, this is a, a, an incredible day um, for, for several reasons. Um, one uh, is it's pretty nice out, isn't it? Um, it's one of the reasons I didn't even plan on saying that, but I thought I needed to. You know, you, hold, you do that weather thing that kind of breaks down the, the awkwardness, right? Like, talk about the weather and like everyone's okay. Okay, now that we're good there. Um, no, but the, uh, it's Easter. And for, e- for, for us as Christians, there's, there's no greater day on the calendar than today. Because listen, if today doesn't happen, as for us as Christians, if today doesn't happen, we have nothing. And so today, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, the day that we live and breathe this reality that there wasn't a guy named Jesus who just came to earth and walked on the earth and then died. Right? I mean, like, it hit me this morning as I was driving here with my daughter. And every time we drive to church, like, we just pray and we just say, God, thanks for the day and help us experience you at church. And we're praying. And like, I said, Mikhail, do you know what today is? And she's like, yeah, it's church. And I said, today's the day Jesus rose from the dead. And it hit me like, We talk all the time about how Jesus died on the cross. But for a four-year-old, like, for her to grip, like, he's not dead. That's huge. To come to grips with this reality that that God is alive in the heavens this morning. Amen? But also for us, Easter is colliding this morning uh, with a series that we've been doing for for several months now um, called Stories, The Grace of God on Display. And for those that many of you ha- haven't been with us, here's what we've been doing is we've been, uh, we've been putting um, an individual uh, person, we've been videoing their testimony and we've been putting them on the screen and we've been sharing their story and we've been drawing out, here's how God's grace has come to life. How God's used his story in through this person's life. And so we've been putting the grace of God on display. God's been putting his own grace on display. We, we really can't really do much to do that. Um, and so Easter is colliding with the story series. But here's what's interesting. Okay, for many of us, Easter, here's what Easter is like. If, I don't know if you've watched TV at all um, this past week. Um, but what you, what you have happen about this time of the year is what? You go to like the History Channel. You go to these different channels. And what do you find? You find documentaries. You find these different things that are either trying to prove or disprove the validity of the resurrection of Jesus. You know, seven reasons why there's no way Jesus is really alive, you know, or or, or whatever. So even our culture knows this reality of of the Christian belief of, of a resurrected Savior. Okay, and so whether you're here this morning and you believe that or don't believe that, one thing is true. Um, there's something that brought you here today, and it very well could be the fact that it's Easter, and that, that you come to church on Easter, that there's this historical event that some 2,000 years ago, the Son of God rose from the grave, or at least we hear about that, and so we should at least come to church, Right? But here's what I, want to, here's what I want, to, want to show us from the scriptures is that it's so much more than that. I'm not going to try to refute some historical reality of Jesus, but I'm going to take the historical reality of a resurrected Jesus Christ and show us 
that that's the launching pad for so much more that he has for us. Um, so if you have a Bible, um, why don't you turn to John 11. If you don't have a Bible, there's some back on the table. Um, also, if you don't have a Bible, the verses will be up on the screen as we'll be unpacking um, a little bit of Scripture this morning. Here's the truth I want to point out real, real quick, right away. I'm just going to say it so we know it. It's this idea that the resurrection Christ becomes personal. Okay, now all of a sudden, maybe some of you in this room, like that, that's, that's not a comfortable thing. Because like, we don't like getting personal. Like we like to just come and, and especially like with the church, okay, we like to just come and, and kind of do our thing and pay our dues or whatever. But we don't like to, to have to expose ourselves. The, the, the Son of God crucified on a cross, buried, dead, rose again to bring the resurrection into a personal reality for every single person in this room this morning. And for some of us, that scares us, that he's going to get in our business. It scares us. Doesn't it? I want to go to a passage in John 11. Let me give you the context. There's a guy named Lazarus. And Lazarus is um, sick. And in fact, where we're going to pick up, he's, he's dead. Okay, but his sisters, Mary and Martha, come to, to Jesus, this guy who's been raising people from the dead all over the place. He's been performing miracles. He's been performing all of these miraculous things. They come to him and they say, my, my brother is dying. Will you help him? But the truth of the matter is that Jesus, he didn't. He, in fact, he showed up late. He's like, oh, you know, sorry, I'm late. Oh, he already died? I guess kind of not how it went down, but I mean, that's kind of how it seems like it went down, right? Um, and so he comes on the scene, and br- brother's already dead. Familiar with this story? Okay. And they come to him, and, and they're, they're kind of grieved over the fact that Jesus didn't come until too late. Too late. John 11, verse 25 says this, Jesus said to her, the Son of God said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So the Son of God gets incredibly personal to Martha to say, do you believe that I am who I say I am? That I am this resurrected. I'm the resurrection and the life. So the, the epitome of all that we celebrate as Christians in a risen Savior is wrapped up in this idea, not of some his, historical event that happened, but is wrapped up in this idea that the, the risen Son of God is himself the resurrection and is himself the epitome of all all that life can be. And he gets incredibly personal with Martha. But he also got incredibly impersonal in the lives of two people within our church. John and Katie, I'm incredibly excited that his family's, their family's here with us today. Thanks for being here, guys. And, um, but I, I want to show you a video, um, uh, John's story. I know he's pretty excited about this, so... Um, 
Um, but I want, to, I want you to see how the resurrection of Christ became incredibly personal to John. Oh, watch this. Uh, growing up, I would say I was lucky enough to have uh, a great family and parents who loved me. I just have to say my parents made me who I am today. Like, they taught me hard work, to be honest, patience, to be trustworthy, uh, that if you make commitments that you need to follow through on them. They did everything they could for me and for my brother and sister. Uh, there wasn't much God talk growing up, but we did, when I was younger, we went to church for Christmas and Easter services. But when I got a little older, we stopped going to that. Uh, growing up, even though we went to church, I never really knew or believed if there was actually a God. And if there were a God, that I didn't need him because I could always rely on my family if I needed anything. Once I got to high school, God was never a thought. Uh, I always just hung out with my friends. I didn't feel like I needed him for anything because I mean, school came easy, I didn't struggle, didn't have any hard times in school, uh, had a lot of fun. I graduated in 2004 and then I went, as soon as I got out of high school I went to Florissant Valley and in 2005 I met Katie. Katie and I met in our college algebra, uh, college algebra class and uh, that was the first class I've ever failed. And I blame her. While dating, uh, Katie and I moved into an apartment. I quit going to school and I became, I went to work with my brother as an electrician. And shortly after that, uh, Katie and I bought our house. We got engaged and then in 2008 we got married. Katie's family are Christians and they were influential because her sister and her sister's hus husband moved up from Joplin to St. Charles and with the church plant there they invited us to join their small group. We were in the small group for about a year until it disbanded and after it disbanded uh, Katie wanted to start having the sense of community and going to church in Florissant. And even though that we went for that small group for a year, I still wasn't sold on the idea of going to church. Katie had asked me several times before to go to church and I always I always argued with her that I didn't want to go because I just I just felt that the people they weren't genuine in the churches like when I remember going to church that I never interacted with any of the other people at the church. I always just went and I always just passed the time. So I didn't have a great view on church. After se several arguments that Katie and I had about going to church, we finally went to church and it was a larger church than I've ever been in before. And I liked the service, but the people there just didn't seem real. I did, I did not want to go back to that church and I had convinced Katie that she didn't want to go either. I thought I was off the hook for looking for more churches to go to until Megan ran into Katie's sister, Katie's sister's husband at Starbucks. Megan knows, or Megan's brother knows her brother-in-law, and they just got to talking, and 
Megan gave uh, John the information, and John then emailed Katie. After getting the email from Megan, Katie was really excited to try out North Church, and she had convinced me to come. I was shocked when I first walked into the service at North Church. Oh, it wasn't large or a very large service. People were standing around, talking to each other, hanging out, having a good time, smiles on their faces, and I just and then uh, people came up to us, said hi to us, welcomed us, and it all just felt felt real, and that people actually cared about one another and cared about us. And I remember at the end of the service, the first service, that I can't remember if it was Dave or Rick, but they said that if you're a guest here, we don't want your money. And that just, I mean, that stuck with me because that means that they don't want just another donation, they want you. Uh, after that one visit, I wanted to keep coming back. Uh, I remember in the membership class that Rick said that this isn't a church that you just come down or you just come and sit, that you have to active, actively be pursuing God and you will be making disciples. So I was nervous after hearing that because I thought no way could I ever do that. And after hearing that, I struggled if I fully wanted to keep, commit myself to Christ. When Dave and Daniel came over, to our house that night to follow up from hearing our stories from the membership class. Uh, I was definitely nervous that night because I, I for one, I didn't know what to expect was going to happen. And two, I mean, it was a struggle within me to fully commit myself to Christ because, I mean, I was in control my whole life. It was me. me. I could do it. Uh, so. It was not, not easy just to let go and let God take over. But ever since that night and ever since, ever since that's happened, it's like a light switch has been turned on and I'm seeing for the first time how amazing God is and with God in your life, how amazing it makes everything else. I would say I now feel whole when I didn't even realize I was missing something. So a few months ago, Jeff and I started discipleship, and I didn't even know I was going to be discipled. And uh, so Jeff just came up to me one day and said, I'm going to disciple you. And I, I was okay with it. And I'd have to say it's been nothing less than awesome. I look forward every time we meet. It's, I mean, I just learn more each time. Jeff's been, been amazing. He's answered a lot of the questions that I've had through the discipleship. I've also learned that, you know, God is bigger than you and everything that you have, God can handle. Uh, you can, and that, ever since learning that, my life has been easier. I can put all my stress on God because he can handle it. I can put success, failure, I mean, everything can just be put on him. One thing I think that uh, God has called me to do is 
to give whatever I can and to help in which way, whichever way that I can. I realize now that to me God is everything and the driving force behind everything we do in our life is for Him, to glorify Him. Jesus says in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Personal. The living God came to personally invade the life of John Jost. I mean, you heard him. You heard him say, like, arguments with Katie, like, I don't want to come to church. Like, I thought I'd convinced her otherwise. There's a lot more said that wasn't on the video. It's pretty fun. But like, personally, it comes to, to in, invade him. So, so this living, resurrected Savior, he's not just a God who played some acting role in a story we've heard about in the past, but he's the God who personally has done the work of raising to life a dead and broken brother. Okay, you're like, dead and broken, what, what do you mean by that? Dead and broken. You know, we grew up in a, an incredible family, okay, taught incredible things. I mean, I've never met a guy who wants to give more. He came over to my house and worked on my electrical work for like five hours. I was like, man, what can I give you? He's like, nothing, just glad to do it. So, so but, but there's this, this reality in the scriptures that I want to point to. It's in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, and here's what it says. It says, For if while we were enemies, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, Okay, so there's this present reality that, uh, that, that prior to the saving work that God did in John's life on December 6th of 2011 in his living room over some Oreo truffles that we now call Jesus truffles. Maybe they'll someday show up in like the family Christian bookstore. Oh, Lord, help us that that doesn't ever happen. But apart from that, prior to that, the truth of the scripture says what? What, what does it say? Enemies. Why? Holy, perfect God. Broken, sinful, selfish humanity at enmity with God. God in his loving kindness, what does it say? It says, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled, we were made right to God by the death of his son. We, we, we considered that on, on Friday night. We looked at the cross and this reality of, of the, the broken, bloody, dying Jesus, but he didn't stay dead. What did he do? So much more now. We are reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? This resurrected, alive son of the most high God who's present here this morning, whether you feel him or not. I feel him. I know many of you experience him. He's present here this morning. He's present in the life of these two amazing people right here. 
And he has the power to redeem and draw out. Here's the deal. There's a passage in Ephesians chapter 2. It says this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. So the other day, um, I was in this car accident. And I got, um, I got thrown through the windshield. And I died. And I was laying there. You guys know where I'm going with this. Sorry, I can't, couldn't keep a straight face. I was laying there dead, right? And, and all of a sudden I thought, man, man, I just love my family so much. And uh, like, I just don't want to be dead. And so I just I got up and I just said, I'm, I'm not going to be dead. <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. It didn't happen. Well, wh- why? Like, I'm dead. If you're dead, you're dead. Like, there's nothing you can do in and of yourself. John can't convince himself. And the amazing thing I love is that people come to this church and the Spirit of God begins to grip their life. And as much as they want to argue and try to convince so-and-so not to come, like, the, the Spirit of God is like, I'm pursuing you. And even though you're dead in your sin, I, through my resurrection power, am going to call you to salvation in my own strength and in my own power for my name and for my glory. And apart from Christ, there's no rescue. I think, would we admit we're all really good at, at trying to be the rescue hero in our lives? Like, growing up, like, that's all I wanted to do. Like, we had this Easter egg hunt and block party uh, yesterday. It was huge. Like, the Forest and Fire Department was there. Like, I, I even called them and said, hey, can we get a truck? Like, I brought my kids. I'm like, move over, kids. Like, I want to play with this axe. Like, I want to be the rescue hero. Okay. We want to play the rescuer in our own lives. And the truth of the matter is, is that always goes bad. And the hope that we have today is this hope that there's a rescuing, loving, pursuing God. And so I want to ask you this. Look, are you rescued? Are you trying to rescue yourself? Because the truth of the matter is that the scripture says we have an appointment with death. There's two kinds of people in the world. There's the walking living and the walking dead. And in the end, we have an appointment with death. And the truth of this scripture that we're looking at in John chapter 11, verse 25, it says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So there's this reality that we have this invitation for a Christian. We call it an invitation to death because what does it do? It propels us into glory. Last night, my wife's grandmother died. And the story of her death is unbelievable because they said she was laying there. And moments before the Lord took her, she opened her eyes and she, she just gazed up. And then she breathed her last. And she just received the invitation into the kingdom of God. And that's the very thing that God's done in this brother's life. And so this hope that one day, like, do you ever pray that? Like, do you, you ever like, there's got to be more to this life. Like, sometimes I'm like, God, get me out of here. Like, I can't endure this. Like, I can't handle this. And there's a scripture that says that, that if we hope in Christ in this life only, we have all people are most to be pitied. And the truth of the matter is that, that as Christians, we have this hope 
that one day there'll be no more death, there'll be no more divorce, there'll be no more house fires, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more of that. It'll come to an end and we'll have an invitation into the heavenly reality with the King of Kings. But what's amazing is that God offers that hope today. Because some of you are like, well, that's great. What about, you know, we hear about heaven. What about today? What about the pain in my life today? Um, I want you to watch uh, Katie's story. Okay, so I was born. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was born in Florissant. I have an older brother, older sister. Um, and before I was one, my parents decided to get a divorce. So my dad moved out and my mom raised my older brother, my older sister, and myself. A couple of years uh, after my parents had split up, my mom remarried, um, and their relationship took us all, well, most of us, to North Carolina. That relationship that my mom had with her husband was an unhealthy one. Um, there was a lot of physical and verbal abuse, and that was something that... Um, I grew up seeing that relationship did not work out, so they um, split up. When we came back, I think my mom like got deep-rooted in her faith, and um, she became a Christian. Sometime after, my brother moved back in with us, and uh, there was a lot of struggle there. Even though I was pretty young, um, when all these things happened, the divorce, the divorces, um, moving to North Carolina, moving back, seeing um, that abuse that was going on there, and the struggle that my family was having with my brother acting out, uh, I think that really affected me and uh, my sense of security. I wanted to protect my mom and be there for her and not be affected. So I think at a young age I learned to take those things and kind of file them away and put on a happy face and uh, be strong for other people. As a family we just kept going to church and um, I kept going, I enjoyed the fellowship, um, I enjoyed the friends that I had. At some point in time, my mom met her current husband. Um, she decided to wait to marry a Christian. She found Ward and uh, my sister and I were so very, very excited and they had two kids. Um, my little brother James and my little sister Lily. Um, so in junior high I did what a lot of junior highers do and I decided to rebel. Yeah. 
so I just rebelled in various ways. Also in junior high, uh, I found out that my dad might not be my dad. I think that was another, uh, just another situation that really confused me. Um, again, I just didn't trust people. I felt hurt. I didn't have an identity. I didn't have, like, I didn't know who my parents were, like my brother does and my sister does. And I mean, I know who my mom is and I know who my dad took care of me and loved me just the way that uh, he took care of and loved my sister and my brother, but still really confusing for an 11 year old. And I think that just gave me more issues with identity um, and wondering, you know, who am I? Who am I supposed to be? Why? Why am I even here? Um, I think high school, or junior high into high school, I dealt with some depression, and I'm pretty sure no one in my family really knows. So um, after I graduated high school, I went on to Flow Valley, um, and in my math class, my algebra class, I met John. That is the first class that I ever failed and it is his fault. So shortly after that, we started dating. We got an apartment and then got a house and then got engaged and got married. Uh, we just kind of moved quickly. So I stopped going to church when I was in like the end of junior high. I was getting out of it, you know, trying to get out of it, being sick, whatever. Uh, in high school, I didn't really go. Um, so through, you know, meeting John, dating John, uh, marrying John, I we we never went. Um, we, my sister and her husband, came uh, back to St. Louis from Joplin. They were living there, um, and they got involved in a church plant that encouraged them to uh, do a community group, a small group, and invite people that weren't from their church. So they invited us, and we went, um, and that just kind of got me thinking about God again. I was thinking about how John and I needed to find um, a community of our own, and also um, there was something that I needed to figure out, and that I couldn't do it by myself. So I started to ask John about church and he wasn't really interested. He kept saying, you know, what about reading the Bible? Can I just read the Bible at home? So we tried that. We started on Genesis 1-1 and we tried to read the Bible and we couldn't get past like Genesis 2. Uh, I just couldn't explain it and he had a lot of questions. I had no answers because I just knew God made the earth and it was good, you know? So after lots of arguing um, about church and whether or not we should go, and where we should go, or just why we should go, I just decided one evening that I was going to go. And I told him, I said, you know, we got married at this church up the road, I'm, I'm going to go. And in the morning when I woke up and I was getting ready, he was like, what are you doing? I'm going to church. 
and he was like, oh, well, I'll go with you. <laughs> so he did. Um, and I wasn't really digging that church, but John liked it. I promise you John liked it. So I was like, well, if he likes this, then that's what we'll do. I'll get my church, and he'll get some church. Two days later, my brother-in-law uh, either texted me or called me and said, um, hey, there's this church that you need to check out. So after we started going to North Church, um, Rick or Dave brought up um, the membership class, uh, and Johnny and I were definitely looking for a place to call our home. So we were interested in going that way. We weren't sure if we were going to become members or what, but we just figured, you know, might as well check it out. Um, so we went, and the first night, I got super frustrated. Uh, because Rick was talking about forgiving people. And he said, if you can't forgive like God wants you to forgive, we don't want you here. You're going to screw up our church. And that freaked me out. I was like, oh, well, you don't want me here. I guess we're just going to have to go on another search. But apparently he does want us there. <laughs> um, God wants us there. I, I really feel like God um, has given us the perfect church for us, the perfect church family for us. Uh, so later that night, I just thought about it um, more, and I was like, I think this is God telling me you know, I need to forgive. Like, this is something that I need to look at. So we finished up the membership class. Um, and a couple weeks later, Dave and Danielle came to our house to do a follow-up. Um, you know, talk more about our stories and, um, you know, I guess see where we're at uh, as far as membership goes. And uh, they were aware that John um, had not been saved, that John wasn't a Christian. So, um, we had dinner, and dessert, and, um, we talked about our stories more, and, um, that night, with the help of some Oreo truffles, and Dave and Danielle, and the amazing situation that God gave us, um, my husband, decided to accept Christ, and he is now saved. Yeah, through all this, I just feel so blessed. Like, when I was little, I was told what God wanted for me, um, and I ignored it. I didn't care. I did my own thing. I married a man who wasn't a Christian, but God still gave that to me. You know, years later, God still gave me a good Christian husband. Um, and I'm so grateful. I mean, there's no denying now, um, like, what God means to me. Um, I feel like my relationship with Him is so much different than it's ever been before. I feel hope. I feel like I am able to forgive. Um, I feel like 
there's just so much that I can do, you know, to, to help others get to know God. Um, and it's just so much more amazing knowing that I have someone that I love that's going to be right there next to me, you know, with the same goals. And, um, you know, that, that God is going to use with me, alongside me, um, to do what he wants. So, when we initially bought our house here in North County, um, the plan was to make some money. To buy... A fixer-upper. Yes, a fixer-upper. To buy it, fix it, and get out of it. Get out of Florissant, go far away. Head west. I don't know. We didn't decide west. We were just going to go somewhere. Yeah. So, um... That was always the plan. Uh, houses lost their value, though, and so we were kind of stuck. We weren't really happy about that. Uh, but we also didn't really think, like we thought when we were looking for a church, that we would find one. Well, I did, because he yeah, wasn't looking. I wasn't looking for a church. No. But we thought we would find one that, you know, we could just go to for a while, and then, you know, when we leave, we leave the church, too, and find another one. You know, there's lots of churches. Um, never crossed my mind. Yeah. So, when we found North Church and started getting involved in I Heart North County, we just saw, um, like, a lot of passion for North County and a lot of love for North County, and that was just... <clears throat> it's definitely things I've never noticed about Florissant before, and I've lived here my whole life. Yeah. yeah. I think that, that passion and that love for North County, um, and just all the great things that were, were happening, you know, caring enough to go and rake people's yards and doing a giant garage sale to raise money for um, other things that have to do with North County, like a really fun Easter egg hunt. Um, with pony rides. So, uh, all those things, it was just really encouraging just to see, like, people do care. There's, you know, hope for North County. There's great people in North County. Great, like, love for North County. So, um, that's definitely got us thinking twice about the plan. Yeah. Um, I think we're Tell me what? I look back at the passage in John 11, verse 26. It says this Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Like, I wish I would have found this verse like when I was a kid, right? Like, because, like, like, that's just cool. You know, I remember like playing guns growing up. Right? Like, and the neighbor's, like, looking at you weird, and like, get out of my yard, and like, doing all that whole, like, playing gun, like, and you know, your, your, your buddy shoots you, and you're like, I shot you. Like, no, you didn't, man, you missed. It's like, I didn't miss. Like, man, I had on my immortality suit. Like, you can't do that. I just did. Right? Like, what, what does it say? It says that, that you'll, you'll never die. But there's, a, there's some prerequisites that are going on here to this idea of, of not just the hope of, of one day. The hope of heaven. Because I think that's, I think ultimately that's kind of Katie's story. 
is that she had this hope um, for like, I just want that heaven. I just want like, the, you know, to know that I'm, I'm not going to go to hell. But the day, like the surrendering of her life to the Lord. Man, it's been awesome to watch God do that recently in her but like this idea of this prerequisite of, of never dying, what does it say? Everyone who lives. Okay, the problem is that some of you, and this is going to be weird, but some of you aren't alive in here. Because what, is the, what did I say earlier? There's the walking living and the walking dead. And so while we go about living life internally, our souls are dead and struggling and, and trying to grasp to find a hope and, and, and reason to continue on. We're just walking, but we're dead inside. And the personal Jesus not only came to invade the heart and soul and mind of John and Katie, but he, he came to invade the heart and soul of mind of every single person in this room and every single person on this planet where he offers that message of hope, not just for then. Because, I mean, can you agree with me? It's like heaven, like, that's awesome. But, like, I need something now. Like, it's kind of tough. Like, I don't know about you, like, it's kind of tough. So, like, I'm, I know some of you are experiencing some aspects of life. It's like, I need something now. And there's this incredible verse in John chapter 10, verse 10. It says this. I've come that you may have life. But here's the deal. He doesn't just like proclaim that. He doesn't just stand afar off and say, life be had here. What does he say? He says, I am the epitome of life. I want to come and I want to be with you. I want to walk with you. I want to be a God that invades your heart and invades your soul and invades your mind and walks the road of life with you. And so he, he, we have this paradigm shift, okay, from brokenness and decay and despair. So the walking dead is like, like you walk in this reality of brokenness and despair and decay, and there's glimmers of like, you know, hope every now and then and fleeting pleasure every now and then. But, but God comes along and he's like, I want to... Change your trajectory to something altogether different, to new life, to purpose, to living for something greater than yourself, to living for the pursuit of making some cash on a house, to I want to see God make a difference in this community, in and through my life, for the hope of, of people and for the glory of God. So the king of heaven came down to earth, was brutally murdered on a cross for, for the destruction of the sin of mankind to come personally and say, I'm not standing afar off and offering hope. I'm coming to invade your heart and your mind and your soul to transform your trajectory, to take control of your life. Because we like control, don't we? Like we like to hold on to things. Right? This is one of the first things I had to learn when I got married. Like, I'm just not always in control of everything. 
Like, I want, I want things to go a certain way. Well, if I'm going to have a healthy, functioning marriage, like, things can't always go the way I want them to go. Or if they, if they do, like, I'm either going to squash the heck out of my wife, and it's just going to go bad, or, like, it's just probably going to go bad no matter what if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue that road, right? But God says, I created the universe. I created you. I know you. I know what you need. Man, praise God that he doesn't give us the things we ask for sometimes. Because it would be our death. It would absolutely be our death. But we, th- we don't think that. We think we know best. We know better than the king of heaven. And the, the glorious truth of this morning is that God says, I rose from the grave to conquer sin and death, to bring restoration from a brokenness that's present between man and God. I want to bridge the gap through personal invitation with the living God to give us hope for this life and the next and to put the resurrected life of the Son of God inside of you. I know that's just weird, okay? Like you're going to put a person in me? Like, that's just weird. Okay. But that's what he does. The Spirit of God invades our souls to give us hope to live in the strength of the, the same power. Listen, get this, church. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside you if you are a professing believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just tell you, there's no other way to live life. There's no other hope. There's no other meaning. There's no other reason to live. And to the extent that we try to, we're just walking dead in the pursuit of our own destruction. So John and Katie, they surrender their lives to the Lord. Their marriage is different. They're serving the, the heck out of this church and this community and each other. And here's the deal. He wants to do the same in you. Do you know what? Since December 6th, John has not stopped smiling. It's a hope. It's a hope that the living God comes. And you know what? He doesn't say, I'm going to make your life perfect. He doesn't say, I'm going to remove all pain and all despair, and you're never going to have hard times. Because you heard it, Rick, one of the pastors here, lost their whole house in a tornado a year ago Friday. Life sucks sometimes. But God is a rock and a hope. And we raise up the banner of that this morning, that he's alive and living and offering us that hope this morning. Pray with me. Father God, you are, you are everything to us. Thank you so much for the cross. Thank you so much for, for not just the cross, But for rising again, for, for conquering sin and death, for if you, if you would just die 
Or if you would have just come down off the cross like, like they asked you to do to prove that you are God, if you would have done that, you know, there wouldn't be hope this morning. There wouldn't be freedom from our despair and from our sin and from our death. But unbelievable, God, that by your power and your strength, you offer the resurrection life of your Son at our disposal that we can live and breathe the living power of the resurrected Savior to give us hope, to put a smile on our face, even when we don't feel like smiling, God. Thank you for your sacrifice. We love you. Thank you for your resurrection. For it is the reason we live, the hope that we have. Um, Yeah, we thank you. In Christ's name, amen.